Hello, and welcome to Bubby Brister's Brunch Buddies, your go-to show for football history, analysis, and general sports information on the Dallas Cowboys, Washington football team, and the Seattle Mariners on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I'm Harry Gollum, here with Andrew Pearson. Hello, folks. And today, Andrew and I are going to be covering the matchup between my Washington football team and his Dallas Cowboys. We'll also talk about the interesting legacy of the Jamal Adams trade at this point in time, the viability of non-QB MVP candidates, and the NFL's interesting enforcement on vaccine cards. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. First, let's dive into the matchup. So it, it pains me deeply to say this, Andrew. Oh, but, uh, I'm sure. Tell me more. Tell me more. No, no I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. So unfortunately, the the main the lamestream media would have you believe that the Cowboys hold the all-time series advantage 73-47 and 2. Oh, that's that's hilarious. Unfortunately, uh I don't agree with those statistics. I have my own numbers, okay? <laughs> I I believe we should just cross off the ones where Washington didn't wasn't coached by Joe Gibbs. That's number 1, okay? Mm-hmm. Number two, if Washington had any injuries and lost, doesn't count. All right. <laughs> and there, if you go by my rules, then Washington's undefeated. So I'll leave our audience to decide wh- whose measure is right, Andrew. You know? You know, Harry, it's football with Harry Gollum characteristics. Mm hmm. That's right. Where Washington always wins. It's That's 20. Right. It's the 2012 season all year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still can't believe you go back and watch highlights of that RG3 rookie. year. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Says the guy whose team hasn't done anything worthwhile since the 90s. Dude, you are not the one to be talking. The Washington, I am the one to be talking. The, the Washington football team has been owned by a schmuck since 1990. Schmuck is generous. Monster might be more accurate. <laughs> Well, when when it when did Snyder buy buy? He Watt? bought it in I believe like '94, and it was the most valuable franchise in football. Never forget how much Snyder Botched. screwed up because he took the most valuable franchise, I think, in all of American sports at that point, because it was the NFL, and just tanked it. <laughs> we were prestigious, you know, at one point, except for the racist name. But you know, I mean, we were literally owned by George Marshall. So, you know, I mean, to be fair, like back in back in 94, Washington was still a good team. That's the thing. People, Mm -hmm. people respected the NFC East very, very much. Well, they still do or they will. They all will. In different ways. In different ways. When Washington and Dallas go head to head in the NFC (laughs) conference championship. You know, you have no no idea how bad I want that to happen. I really do. I all I'm saying, Andrew, is that if if Washington and Dallas meet in the NFC Championship, that's really the real Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Because it's the NFC East Bowl. I don't even care who grace the Super Bowl. They don't have a prayer against Washington or Dallas. That's just the truth. Yeah, especially because the AFC is so bad this year. (laughs) I mean, low key. Outside of the Patriots, I'm not sure there's a team I don't believe either Washington or Dallas could reliably beat, like have a decent chance of beating. Like, I don't know, man, the Chiefs? Even the Chiefs barely beat Dallas. Like, Dallas could totally have won that game with some comp- with a little bit health, more health and some competent game planning. Of course, Mike McCarthy moment. But yeah. 
Still, Dallas could win that game. I feel like DC could. DC actually played Dallas close while they were in the doldrums, right? I mean, Dallas, uh, the Chiefs. Yeah. But then you've got the Bills, who, I mean, Washington matches up great with them because we just run the ball all the time. And as the Bills prove, you really do not need to throw against them to beat them. Uh, uh, so, poor Bills. I mean, who's who does that leave? The Ravens? I mean, I... The Ravens yeah. who just blew the game against the Steelers last week? Well, in fairness, I actually... Did you hear the John Harbaugh statement after the game? No. He said the reason they went for two was because after Marlon Humphrey went out with an injury, they literally had two corners. Oh, so going into fair. overtime, they would they just would have run out of guys to play defense. It's like, uh, yeah. So you could understand the risk, nonetheless. So that is, that is the classic Steelers way to win. Gritty and on a technicality. Yep. That's right. Anyway, I wanted to talk about a few games between our two story, equally storied franchises. Honestly, it's, it's, there's, it's not that far. Like, Dallas has the lead in terms of, you know, more storied, sure. more legacy, but it's not, it's not like... It's, it's not a blowout. It, it's not as if it's Dallas and the Jaguars or something. Or, yeah. I mean, also, I think that the thing about it is that I'd say Washington punches above its weight because of how sustained the dominance of the Gibbs teams were. Cause like the giants have four super bowls, but I don't think they're like, come on. You know what I mean? Come on. The, the giants had their run with Bill Parcells. Yeah. And they, they had the two Eli Manning miracle runs. Right. And that's kind of it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there was a lot of stuff back in the early sixties. Uh, early, sure. early 60s, the Giants were relevant, um, but they weren't world beaters or anything. They made a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. But I don't mm. – Giants weren't that they, – they were popular because they were the New York team. I still can't forget the fact that uh, if you read the ratings of rivalries, like best NL rivalries, one list put Washington and Dallas – as 12th behind both Dallas and the Eagles and the Eagles and the Giants. It's a bit of a hot take, not going to lie. That is a bit of a hot take, not going to lie. By the way, I can't believe, listen, Washington has been miserable, but how do the Lions get to play on Thanksgiving? I'm sorry. Dude, it should be Washington-Dallas every right? Thanksgiving. That's how it exactly. should be. Nobody wants to see the Lions play. Anyway... We're getting off track. I'm trying to I'm trying to tell the story of a game. That this is six minutes of diatribe. So <laughs> November twenty eighth, nineteen sixty-five, DC Stadium. Wow. The Cowboys jump out to a twenty-one to nothing lead on a pass play, running play, and a sixty yard fumble return. You know, I, I don't I'm starting to think I shouldn't have let you write today's segment. <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys were winning. Truly, it looked like truth, justice, and the American way were on the run, never to recover. <laughs> and despite Sonny Jurgensen throwing, this is actually really funny. Uh, despite Sonny Jurgensen, who was Washington's quarterback at the time, uh, throwing a 26-yard touchdown to Charlie Taylor, the fans in the stands were calling for him to be benched in favor of our backup QB. Andrew, do you know who Washington's backup QB, this Sonny Jurgensen, was? Uh... It couldn't have been Williams. Oh, no, this is the 60s. Doug Williams wasn't playing until the late 80s. Uh, yeah, I know. That's why I said it couldn't have been him. Yeah. It's a legendary name, Andrew. 
uh, who you may not know, but you should know. Kids these days don't show them enough respect. His name was Dick Shiner. Go on. And so Sonny Jurgensen gets DC another touchdown. So it's 24-13. And then another, and then a rushing touchdown makes it 24-20. But then just as the DC's, you know, storming back, the Cowboys find a 53-yard touchdown pass to Frank Clark. With this is Frank Clark with an E on the end of Clark. So not obviously the pass rusher. Uh, But Jurgensen then throws another touchdown pass. So it's 31-27 in this absolute shootout. And then with less than two minutes to go, DC gets the ball back on their own 20-yard line. Less than two minutes to go. Here we go. Jurgensen works his way all the way down the field and hits his tight end to give DC its first lead, 34-31, with a minute left. But it's not over. Danny Villan... uh, So the... uh, the Cowboys actually drive all the way down to DC's, I believe, 37-yard line mm-hmm. to set up Dan- kicker Danny Villanueva for a game-tying field goal. So we're going to overtime in Washington. But then Washington defensive back Lonnie Sanders blocks uh, the kick and Washington uh, wins 34-31. to Let's go. I shouldn't have let you write this. <laughs> oh, Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? Don't we just love history, Andrew? <laughs> we love history on this show. Alrighty. So let's talk about Dick Shiner, though. You might have recognized him as the guy who was the Pittsburgh, who was Pittsburgh's quarterback before Terry Bradshaw. Okay. Mm-hmm. He also backed up Jim Plunkett. And he was at one point uh, behind, what's his name? Uh, he was an all-pro back in the day. Uh, I can't remember, but he did actually set one record, uh, which was when he was playing on the Saints in 73, he became the first person to ever post a perfect passer rating. Oh, okay. That's cool. Now, it's a little bit of a technicality because the passer rating wasn't even tracked till that season. So it's not as impressive as you think, but it's still impressive. The last thing I want to highlight is that he was genuinely a really great guy because at the end of his career in 74, he's backing up Jim Plunkett. I mentioned he was backing up Jim Plunkett. And now is now this is Jim Plunkett in New England or Oakland? New England, yeah. Okay. Yes, New England. And so Shiner, he really doesn't play at all. But finally, in um, they're just the Patriots are blowing out the Baltimore Colts 35 to 3 in the 74 regular season. And so Shiner comes in from Plunkett, right? They're protecting Plunkett. And he leads an 80-yard touchdown drive. Things are going great, right? This is his chance. He's a pretty veteran player, right? Because, mind you, he was drafted in 64. So he's been around a while, right? This is his 10th year. He's clearly not going to be a starter. But, you know, he could easily bounce around the league as a backup. But you know what he does, Andrew? What does he after, do? the, after the offense gets the ball back, after that touchdown drive, he takes himself out of the game. So that third string quarterback, rookie Neil Graff, could play in the NFL. That's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and four decades later, he said, I wanted Neil Graff to get the experience. He was a good kid, and I knew my time in the NFL was coming to an end. And so he bowed out gracefully, and uh, that was his last year. He ended his career on what I would say was a pretty high note. What a good guy. What a guy. Truly the class that has been associated with the Washington football organization for decades since. Am I right, guys? What a pristine, 
well-run organization. Truly really the, the spirit, model. The model for the NFL to follow. The spirit of Dick Shiner is flowing through Washington to this day, where they still treat everyone with the utmost respect. <laughs> anyway, I also wanted to mention one thing, because, you know, some people might say I'm biased, but if there's one thing that I love more than loving the Washington football team, it's hating the Washington football team's original owner, George Marshall, mega racist that he was. He was the last to uh, integrate his team, okay. as in along racial lines, to be clear. So the, this is important because a lot of people talk about the Dallas-Washington rivalries. If it's a thing that happened sort of developing, but it, it actually was a little more complicated than that. Because it was essentially from the creation of the Cowboys destined to happen. This is because D.C. was the only Southern team operating in the NFL before the Cowboys came along. And they were very against, specifically Marshall, the owner, was very against the Cowboys being made because then they would eat into D.C.'s market. Of course, you might say the entire South is hardly one market, but that was just the way the NFL was organized. Right. Mm -hmm. And so from basically from the moment the Cowboys were created, they were a rival in on ownership level, even if that wasn't necessarily they didn't hate each other on a team by team basis. And they then they were put in the same division. Bad blood between owners. Exactly. And this bad blood was intensified when uh, and what I have to admit is absolutely a fantastic uh, prank. Cowboys. I, I don't remember if they were team officials or just boosters or something but people generally affiliated with the cowboys went to dc stadium before a regular season game with a bunch of chickens including one black chicken and a bunch of white chickens this was a reference to the fact that marshall had refused to integrate his team and they were going to try and release them during the game (laughs) to make fun of marshall now a security guard heard the chickens and they tried to bribe him a hundred dollars in 1960s money which is an absolutely absurd amount, of, absurd amount of money. I mean, think about how much money that is that, in the sixties. That would that'd be at least it's over a thousand nowadays, right? Yeah, it's something crazy like that. I don't know the conversion rate, but the point is, the security guard doesn't take the bribe and instead reports them. And later, only one guy is able to avoid detection and releases one chicken. So, a fraction of what could have been, but <sighs> tragic, tragic. Then uh, the Cowboys won that game, and I believe it was the Dallas Morning Star or whatever it's called, the yeah, local it's the mor- paper. It's, it's the Morning Star. It's the Morning Star, yeah, reported that the attendance was like 49,889 and one chicken. So, <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, it pains me to admit that that it is perhaps true that Washington has not won every single matchup between these two teams. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's true though. Can you December, that? yeah, sure. How does that December eleventh, uh, bad. <laughs> December eleventh, nineteen eighty-eight. Defending champion uh, champions Washington host a terrible Dallas team at RFK Stadium. Dallas, for reference, is two and twelve. Washington is seven and seven. That Washington is on the brink of playoff elimination and desperately needs a win against the rival Cowboys. Which, quick digression, it's shocking how close these teams play each other even when there's a massive difference in how good they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just it's like it's like Baltimore Pittsburgh where it's always close. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, early on in the first quarter, Washington Dallas trade late field goals. So, it's 3 to 3 heading into the second quarter. Then guess who catches? So, 
Michael Irvin catches a 24-yard touchdown pass. Wait, 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 you... wait. What year is this again? This is 1988. Oh, this is... Who so was this the is, this Cowboys... Is, this is rookie year. Yes. So, who was that Cowboys quarterback who threw that, answer? Oh, you know? gosh. So, af- after the conclusion of this year is when they drafted Troy Aikman first overall. Right. Oh, geez. Who was the quarterback? It's too late to be Danny White. That's correct. It's not Danny White. It was in like that. It was in that four year lull period mm-hmm. where Danny White was out, was retired from the Cowboys. Cowboys were bad for a couple of years until they drafted mm-hmm. Aikman. I, I wouldn't know. I don't know. I'm going to try and pronounce his name, but I admit that I don't actually have his name like. It's the, it's Steve Pweller. Is it Pweller? Yeah, I'm thinking about. Yeah, no. I, I, anyway, I, was, the, I wasn't gonna get that one. Yeah, that's just hard. a deep cut there. Anyway, Dallas holds on to that lead, ten to three, into halftime. Coming out of halftime, Dallas really seems to put Washington in the grave with a sixty-one yard reception for Michael Irvin. This at this point, Michael Irvin has caught what is that two touchdown passes mm-hmm. and accounted for all of the Cowboys touchdowns. But one thing about those Gibbs teams is that they were always, always able to come back and play better in the second half. And sure enough, Doug Williams hits Ricky Sanders 40 yards downfield, touchdown. Then Mark Rippon hits Terry Orr downfield 50 yards to tie the game heading into the fourth quarter. But with less than five minutes to go, unfortunately, Michael Irvin catches his third touchdown pass of the game to seal the game. Dallas wins 24 to 17. And this is important for several reasons, notably because it was my, one of Michael Irvin's first huge star-making games with three touchdowns. It was the it by dropping DC to seven and eight, it dropped them out of the playoff race, mm-hmm. ending their season. And it's one last thing about it. It was Tom Landry's last win. Oh, geez. Yeah, because he got fired after this year. <laughs> Jerry Jones firing Tom Landry. Bruh. To be fair, the previous owner, I think it was, I think it was like Bud Adams or yeah, something like that, or Tex Schramm. I don't remember which one it was. It might have been Tex Schramm. Yeah, I have I, a bone to pick with Tex Schramm. By the way, we'll get into that later. But yeah, I think it might have been Schramm. Um, whoever the previous owner was was planning on firing Landry anyway, but they were so scared of being the person to fire Tom Landry that mm-hmm. they desperately wanted to pass off ownership. And the guy who fell on that sword was Jerry Jones. Okay, well, I would hardly say he fell on that sword. I mean, he got pretty lucky in his Cowboys ownership. But, yeah, it's true. And the game had passed Landry by by then. I mean, don't forget, that Cowboys team was, even after that win, they finished the season 3-13. and 13. Like, they, they were not good under late Landry. Yeah. But I want to talk for a moment about a certain thing that happened. You see, there was a time when the NFL players... Sh- striked now you might know labor disputes sports are no stranger to them i mean the owners just locked out the mlb players after the collective bargaining agreement expired it was only about a week ago right yeah but in the late 80s in 87 the players striked because they were not happy with uh, it was especially pensions as i recall they were very unhappy with pensions and some teams like the philadelphia eagles whose head coach buddy ryan implicitly not just implicitly but sort of quietly encouraged his players to strike saying 
if you're going to strike, strike together or don't strike at all. So th- those teams, usually the teams, honestly, that were based in union towns, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. were much more likely to strike. In fact, in Philly, when the scabs tried to get to the stadium, to the Eagle stadium to practice and play games, people just blocked them, wouldn't let them through. It was a union thing. Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't the players, mind you, it was just average Joe's off the street. But the point is that Dallas was different because Dallas owner Tech Schramm was a notorious union buster. And he had a bit of a problem. You see, his star running back, Tony Dorsett, loudly and proudly declared that he was going to strike. And that was not a good look for the guy who was presenting himself to the NFL as the guy who could break the player strike, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And when I believe it was Danny White crossed the picket line, I can't remember why he did it. I think it was for a lot of money, like a huge bonus. Tony Dorsett branded him Captain Scab, right? Turning on his own teammate. Now, he would respond, of course, well, he turned on all his other teammates by crossing the picket line. But then something really awkward happened. See, as it happened, Tony Dorsett had racked up a lot of debts. And Tech Schramm offered to essentially give him a bonus that would allow him to pay off all his debts. So Tony Dorsett... Under the condition that he doesn't strike? Under the condition that he comes back and plays, yes. And so Tony Dorsett, mere days after branding his own teammate Captain Scab for crossing the picket line for a bonus, does so himself. (sighs) That That must have been awkward. Yeah. Needless to say, the Captain Scab nickname did not stick to Danny White. It stuck to Tony Dorsett. So it's that context, right? Dallas does not strike very effectively. Their owner is very good at union busting. He's very effective at sort of using, pressuring his players back in. So what ends up happening is that in 1987, teams like DC are playing with scabs. They're not playing with their regular teams. Meanwhile, Dallas is 2-0, absolutely crushing the poor schmucks who are forced to play against (laughs) professional guys. Like this is Tony Dorsett playing against guys who weren't good enough to make the cut from college to the NFL. So what's he going to do? Absolutely destroy them. Yeah. So Washington had actually won two, their two games as well. Both teams were two and O, but come on. It's a very tenuous two and O for Washington. It was two. It was two and O with stabs. They did not have anyone. The Cowboys had Danny white, Randy white, Tony Dorsett and Ed Jones among others. You mean two tall Jones? That's right. That's right. And so, what do you expect would happen, Andrew? If you're talking about the game, Washington pulled it out. It was a close game, Andrew. Oh I'll give God. I'll give you that. But how did it start? Well, Washington, with their scab kicker, kicked a field goal. Not a big deal, right? Nobody scores in the second quarter. Then, in the third quarter, both teams trade touchdowns. And then Washington kicks yet one more field goal in the fourth quarter. It was a defensive struggle from beginning to end. But in the end, Washington Scabs defeated the Dallas Cowboys. That's right. And Joe Gibbs would later call it one of my greatest experiences and wins. We then finished 3-0 and the strike ended the following week. Then DC would go on to win the Super Bowl later that season. Ain't that something Uh, man anyway also they made a movie about it that's what the replacements is about it's about the 87 uh washington team 
that is perhaps my favorite DC win of all time because you know, really sticking it to to the owners, you know. That's true. By the way, little fact for the folks at home: Did you know that the average, the median rather, MLB salary has gone down thirty percent since the last time the CBA was renewed? Just a little fact for you guys. Interesting. Yeah. So, poor, poor Tony. I feel bad for Tony Dorsett, though. You know what I mean? I mean, he really got embarrassed. He got, he, he got, he was forced to cave. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just a very embarrassing situation. Uh, but you might say, Andrew, all right, enough with the cowboy bashing. Mm-hmm. What about Bubby Brister? Where is he? I've been scratching at the bit, wondering where he was. Unfortunately, Bubby only played for one NFC East team, the Eagles. But in 98, as John Elway's backup, he ended up starting a couple of games. In fact, four. Notably, he played in two games against two NFC East opponents. Is that so? DC, DC, and the Eagles. Do you know what his record against those NFC East teams was? Please. If it's Bubby, it's 2-0. That's right. And in fact, in all four games that he started, he was 4-0. That's because Bubby is simply one of the best. And you can't really argue it. Right. I mean, Danny White? Who? (laughs) Sonny Jurgensen? Who? Dick Shiner? Who? It's all about Bubby. It's Bubby time, man. It's Bubby time. Now, I will say one thing, right? Which is that, don't forget that, don't ever forget that the Broncos were given the choice between staying with Bubby or choosing Brian Greasy. And they chose Brian Greasy over Bubby. Not right. It's not right. Eh, anyway, on that note, let's talk about the game, Andrew. It's coming up this Sunday. It's coming up this Sunday. It is. I believe Dallas is at home, right? Or is it, or is it Washington at home? No, we're hosting them. So Cowboys are walking into D.C., this Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. And um, obviously I'm pretty confident that the Cowboys are going to win. Cowboys finally have a an actual defense this year, which is the first time in at least six, seven years that they have. I genuinely, since the 2016 team? Not even the 2016 team. Then you have to go back to the was 14th defense okay? Not it wasn't that good. If you want to go back to a good good defense, when was the last time? I don't like mid aughts. Wow, that's sad. That's... Even DC's been able to put decent defense together for a couple of years there. No, like Cow- the Cowboys have put together a couple of middling defenses every once in a while, and go figure. When they put together a middling defense, Tony Romo was able to carry them to the freaking playoffs. But mm. they just never put together a good team around Romo, which is why the Cowboys never really did anything in the 2010s. But that and Romo got injured a lot in fairness. Uh, sure. At the tail end of his not, career, not blaming him or anything. It's just, you know, yeah, but those injuries were at the tail end of his career. And True, keep in mind, but... he played eight years. He, he started, he, he finally started games when he was around 26, 27, is when he finally started. Yeah, that's he was true. he was undrafted. Yes. He also struggled to hold footballs. 
in the playoffs, field goal attempts. If we're if we're just going for Tony Tony One Romo game. trivia, I like my favorite point is that uh they always the the Cowboys fan response is Romo would have been a playoff hero if a Martin Gramatica had actually tried to block, but you know. <laughs> Hey, by the way, little fun fun fact that I think you as a Cowboys fan will get just as much a, of a kick out of as yeah. that I do is uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was watching like a video of Tony Pollard's uh, kickoff return. I think it was against the Raiders, right? That's when he yeah, re- yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy I was watching, he said, "That's why the Cowboys pay Zeke to watch on the sidelines as Tony Pollard <laughs> scores <laughs> touchdowns." Um, uh, man. I- why, why don't we why don't we talk about the running backs real quick for Dallas? Let's sure, talk about it real sure. quick. So Zeke has been playing through an injury the, these past three weeks or so. He's been playing through a knee injury. Um, mm-hmm. Should he be playing through the injury? Probably not. No. But he's doing it anyway. And he's just been a decent power back ever since he um, ever since he got hurt couple of weeks ago before that he was he was actually showing you know real rejuvenation and you know had turn, turn like what they were paying him for yeah like what they were paying him for and he he's just he's just you know trying to tough out this injury and i don't think it's going to pay pay off for him all that much but hey he's here now tony pollard is an explosive back um sure not always the most powerful runner that's why they keep zeke around but He's just he's just a better athlete. Uh, he's just yeah. a more explosive athlete. Great hands out of the backfield. Uh, obviously, they have him on kick returns for a reason. It's because he's very agile. Um, sure. And you know, capable of making the big plays. He just doesn't have the consistency that Ezekiel Elliott has. Now, uh, to my understanding, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper are going to be back for Washington. Uh, so the Cowboys are getting healthier again. That's right. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence should be back very, very soon. Let me. I didn't see anything about him. Uh, let me look him up here. Demarcus Lawrence. What do we got here? Uh, he, uh, hmm. He's expected to play against the Saints. He was expected to play against the Saints. And he didn't. So he'll probably be back. He he will probably be back. Um, he should have been back. One hundred percent should have been back for the Saints game. I've seen a lot of uh, pieces from about a week ago about how Cowboys players are really excited to get him back. So if he didn't play, he should be playing unless he had a big setback. Uh, here, hold on. Let me let me take a look. No, he was there. No, he was in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, he was there. Yeah, I just saw his tweet. His tweet. Okay, yeah. Apparently, he actually played pretty well. Not great. Yeah, but just a, well. just in limited snaps. Uh, but yeah, Demarcus Lawrence is back, and he's the best player on that defense by bar none. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, he's been the best player on that defense for a couple of years ever? now. What was the name ever, of? Um, ever since 2017, he's been the best player on that defense. Yeah, I mean, I guess Sean Lee, when healthy, was the last really good defensive player you guys had before Demarcus Lawrence. Demarcus, where? That's true, but wasn't he? He left by the mid 2010s to go play with the Broncos. Like he was on that in Super four, Bowl winning team. In 14, uh, after 14, so, I think. So I think it goes Demarcus Ware, Sean Lee, and then Demarcus Lawrence, right? I mean, those are your. Yeah. We you had... put three of those guys together, and that's like a decent defensive core. It's a shame you guys didn't have them at the same time. Yeah. It, it's rough, man. It's rough. 
But anyways, um, the defense is rounding into, into shape, and they've been playing very well. Um, and not only that, but the offense is getting healthy again. And honestly, they just out-roster talent the the uh, Washington football team right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And as much as I love Taylor Heineke, I don't know when you're not playing the Raiders defense mm. how well he's going to hold up. But, I mean, uh, the Raiders beat the Cowboys. Washington beat the Raiders. So, just saying. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> that is a that is a point that Andrew's making. Obviously, the Cowboys have gotten a lot healthier. Clearly, one of their biggest weaknesses has been the fact that they have not been very particularly healthy over their less than ideal stretch of games recently. But I will say one thing. Washington is something Dallas just does not have. Oh, God. That's Mojo. That's Moxie. And no one has more Moxie than Taylor Heineke. So if we're going off who's going to win by Moxie, Taylor Heineke. It's not even close. I do. I, mean, he... I do. I do love Heineke. He's like he's like Brett Favre I mean... without the without the rocket arm. Yeah. He's, no, he's Brett Favre, but better. You heard it here first. He's gonna he's gonna put up better career stats than Brett Favre by the end of his career. That's just gonna happen. That's a fact. But putting aside my long term projections, I think there's a reasonable point to be made that this is gonna be a good game because Washington has been able to handle high powered offenses with good defenses. The Tampa game being the most obvious example of where a very good offense was held in check by ball control on Washington's side in which they were able to run effectively against a good defense. In fact, I think Tampa is a lot better than Dallas, and the fact that Washington beat them clearly shows that Washington is more than capable of beating Dallas. Now, will they is another question, because frankly, outside of that Tampa win, none of Washington's wins this year have been particularly impressive. I mean, not only that, but uh, defensive performances from the football team have been very inconsistent over the course of the year. They've been rounding into shape recently. They've been rounding into form. I think that's, I think, and I talked about this, I think on a previous show about the way Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio blitz. Everyone has their lane. You don't chase the quarterback. You know, the defensive end will, the two defensive ends left and right will run a lane. Right. Mm. And Chase Young and Montez Sweat were not necessarily keeping their lanes. So counterintuitively, while we were getting less sacks, our actual pass rush in terms of collapsing the pocket improved because the guys who came in after uh, Montez Sweat and Chase Young kept their lanes better. Also, Josh Allen is just, not Josh Allen, Jonathan Allen. It's been playing out of his mind lately. He's, He's really the only member of that front seven that really played up to expectations this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it's good to see that secondary has finally started to play decently. Um, frankly, I think moving Landon Collins into a more of a hybrid linebacker thing was a must. It was a necessary move, uh, and it held the defense back not to have him in that position before. Yeah, just like keep keeping that speed and matching him up on tight ends is kind of where his home should have been. I mean, because he's a really good toolsy linebacker, but he's just not a safety at this point in his career. Which is odd because he used to be amazing. With, he with was fast. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, but Washington's big secondary splashes, whether that be Josh Norman or Landon Collins, haven't worked out. Hopefully William Jackson works out a little bit better because he's played better lately. But he had a pretty bad start to the year coverage-wise. 
Overall, though, you are right that, especially when it comes to on an individual level, outside of Jonathan Allen, yeah, I'm not sure I would say that anyone has been particularly impressive this year. Oh, Cam Curl, especially now that he's been getting more of a chance to play, has played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Overall, though, it's been a general defensive improvement, not so much that there's big guy stepping up still i think that as much as you can nitpick a lot of washington's close wins i would say that 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 uh raiders game is not that close if we had a kicker right that's number one because we would have just kicked the field goal would have been game over we would have been up by more than one score late the seahawks game frankly there were some fluky blown coverages and that was how the seahawks moved the ball downfield so i don't think that game was this close so you can make excuses what i'm saying but still I have to admit, outside of that Tampa win, Washington hasn't had a convincing win all year. So at the same time, they've won four straight and the Cowboys are kind of not, they don't have that same momentum. So that could be a factor, but the Cowboys are a better team. And I think they are the favorites. Without a doubt. But all right. I think that covers. But I'm choosing my team anyway. I'm choosing my team anyway. I know you would. And I am. And you know what? When they win, Andrew, you are never hearing the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to. I'm going to hope that doesn't happen, but yeah. I suppose that's the end of our, of our segment here. Yeah. Our 37 minute segment with diatribes I mean, we're just giving and it... sidetracks and all of that stuff. We're giving the rivalry, the, the attention it deserves. I think. I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. It used to be a lot better, but. Well, it's coming back. Okay. Let's see. I hope it does come back. I hope mm-hmm. so. So. Yes, that's true, Andrew. I think we've done that segment, but we have a bit more to go off of. So, first of all, the news broke that Jamal Adams, safety for the Seattle Seahawks, is out out for the year, out for the season. So, with that and with his extension still up in the air, that Jamal Adams trade, how does it look right now? Well, how many years is he under contract? How long? No, he's got an extension coming up. He oh, not an extension, but I. I think his contract no, is signed. They, no, because when they traded for him, they signed him to a big oh, deal. Geez. Oh, you're right. Oh, he's so he is next year going to be on for oh lord, four years, seventy million. And how many? How many is that per year? Uh, average yearly salary of seventeen million five hundred thousand. So when they first signed him, he was worth that. Yeah. Right now, it's looking pretty bad. It's looking pretty yeah. bad because, honestly, I think it's partly on Pete Carroll. Um, mm-hmm. It's partly on Pete Carroll not putting Jamal Adams in spots where he thrives. Um, sure. Jamal Adams is kind of like he used to be this really, really tight man coverage safety who could come into the box and basically erase whatever tight end mm-hmm. or slot receiver you put on him. Not only that, but he was really smart in coverage. He was a great leader, and he was a sneaky good blitzer as well. Yeah, he's actually still been a pretty good blitzer for the Hawks. It's just that ever since he got to Seattle, Seattle hasn't been – they've been playing him, you know, a little more single high, playing him a little more cover too. Um, Just not not the best utilization of Jamal Adams. Right. Could it be that their utilization of him could be better? But also, let's not mince words here, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. 
Jamal Adams has sucked in his time with the Hawks. He has severely underperformed. Yeah. They would have much rather had Cameron Curl. Though, who wouldn't? That's right. Who would? I love Cam Curl. I love Cam Curl. He's the Bubby Brister of safeties. Truly. Honestly. But, um, but yeah, man. Jamal Adams has just been a massive disappointment. Mm -hmm. And not, not so much that he's a liability or anything. It, it's not, it's not as if he's, I don't know, Andrew Sendejo or something. Right. But, like, you expected so much more. And you're just getting a, a slightly above average safety right now. With... Someone called him a box safety straight up. Yeah, it's like he's got he he's a box safety with some extra utility is what he is. A, right a now. great blitzing box safety. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I expected so much more from Jamal Adams. I really did, especially from what he showed with the Jets uh, when he was on the yeah. Jets. He was amazing. Lights out. And I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I'd like to do a – maybe I, I, I'll do a deep dive and go into his film one of these days and really look at what happened. But I don't know, man. It's just been – it's been rough. It's been rough. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that. It's absolutely disappointing that after being freed from the prison that is the Jets, he's pretty heavily disappointed. But – Hopefully he comes back from his surgery and plays well and, and plays up to expectations. Okay, so that brings me to my next point, which is that Ben Roethlisberger floated TJ Watt as an MVP candidate. and It's not going to happen. Yeah, it's obviously not going to happen, but Jonathan Taylor has also been floated by members of the NFL media as a possible uh, MVP candidate. And I think this is worth bringing up a broader question. In the modern game with a passing-heavy league, is it even possible to have a non-QB MVP? I think it is, but it has to. A lot of stuff has to break a very particular way in order for it not to be a quarterback. So Mm -hmm. this year is a great example of this because it seems as though any time a quarterback is favored to win the MVP. They just lay a stinker the next week. You know, no quarterback this year has really taken that MVP conversation by the reins. And um, it's left it's left that lane, you know, of quarterback uncertainty for truly outstanding um, position player performances to really skyrocket up MVP voters' lists. I think if Derrick Henry... Uh, was mm-hmm. still was still healthy and was still maintaining his pace that he was earlier this season. Remember, folks, it took two weeks for a player to oh, surpass Lord. him in rushing yards. It took two weeks. It's ridiculous. But it would have to be it. It would really I, I, honestly, Derrick Henry would be the MVP of the league right now if he maintained his pace and was still healthy. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. Um, but. Jonathan Taylor really does have an outside shot this year. Uh, if he maintains this ridiculous pace that he's on, then he's got he's got a shot because he's doing things at the running back position right now that nobody else in the league is really doing, um, at least not this year. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, the only reason it's, we're even having this conversation is because the quarterbacks haven't been – 
um, haven't really had that truly dominating performance uh, like years past. So if you're going to have a non-QB MVP, it has to be in a year like this where the quarterbacks just haven't been, well. yeah, just haven't been playing up to expectations. Right. Really, I think that the – I disagree with you there, Andrew. There is one man who can save us from the horde of QB MVPs. He just needs to come out of retirement. Mm-hmm. That's Mark Mosley. <laughs> he did it before, and he'll do it again. He'll do it again, man. That's right. Finally, the NFL is in another vaccine situation, this time with a, a guy you might have heard of him. His name is um, Antonio Brown. Yeah. Because, of, cor- of course, it's A.B. So, <laughs> first of all, this whole thing starts because Antonio Brown ha- hasn't paid his chef $10,000 in his, his chef has $10,000 in unpaid wages, right? Yeah. And AB won't pay him back. So he, he needs to bring attention to his story. And what does he do? Well, he reveals AB has a fake vaccine card. Yeah. This is already a pretty bad look. Then the Bucks, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I should say, do an internal investigation and find no irregularities in vaccine cards. Clearly, this is the baseless accusation from a desperate money seeker. Then the NFL does an investigation. It turns out that actually it was fake. And not only was AB's vaccine card fake, but two other members of the Buccaneers had fake vaccine cards. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they lied. See, you can criticize Aaron Rodgers, and I think justifiably for a lot of his behavior about misleading people, but when you submit a vaccine card to the NFL, you are clearly stating that you have, that you are vaccinated. I mean, it's a vaccine card. So AB was suspended in a brutal, harsh punishment of three games which he will miss too anyway because he's injured. And it wasn't just him. him. It was uh, Mike Edwards and a free agent. I can't remember what his name was. One of the practice squad guys. Yeah. The point is, I don't know. In my opinion, should have been harsher. Apparently, there were reports they were floating an eight or nine game suspension. Frankly, I think that that would have been the right approach. My opinion. Really? Yes. And the reason I say that is because as much as I don't like Rodgers, at least he didn't lie. I mean, A.B. actively misled. Didn't just mislead. He actively lied. He submitted a document. And uh, that is implications. If A.B. had gotten COVID, right, they would have let him off the COVID list early. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that that should have been punished more harshly. Anyway, I still think it's funny that all the vaccine shenanigans have been punished less than taunting this year. That is really funny. That's, that's like, hilarious. Lying to everyone about your vaccine status or waving goodbye after you score a game-winning touchdown, which is worse. I mean, who's to say, Andrew? Who's to say? I mean, just the NFL officiating and the NFL's, um, what do you call it? Not, not, not dealing of justice, but they're um i mean i guess you could say meeting out justice or uh, uh punishment yeah punishment standards it's really the standards that they uphold their their players to right it's sure. so consistently inconsistent 
every single year. And yeah. it just leads to head-scratching moves like this. Uh, didn't Yeah, because CeeDee Lamb got fined more than Aaron Rodgers for taunting than Aaron Rodgers did for his vaccine mishap. Right. Uh, and I'm not even of the opinion that it should have been, uh, you know, heavily fined that much anyway. It, honestly, I think neither of them, neither of them should have been fined. Like, right. cause who cares? Who cares? At this well, point? I, I, frankly, I, I do care, and I think they should have been fined. Personally, I wouldn't have mind if AB had just been thrown out a window, like he threw, he like he <laughs> threw his furniture out the window. Did he throw a TV as well? Yeah, it traumatized the four year old. Was it? four-year-old and his grandpa right very classy ab <laughs> once again showing why um tom brady lobbied to bring him into not one but two teams that he was on because mm-hmm. tom brady believes in second chances andrew and third chances and fourth chances. and you know sometimes he just believes in allowing people who messed up to continue that bad behavior with no accountability because that's what friends are for <laughs> <laughs> tom brady the goat Tom Brady the goat. I mean, he's the goat of, um, I don't know, he's the goat of supporting bad people? I don't know. Anyway, everyone knows Sammy Baugh is better than, by the way, just want to talk about this for a moment, right? That Bill Belichick game where where Mac Jones threw three passes, I'm just saying Andrew, right? Yeah. That was, that is the NFL that Sammy Baugh came into and that he revolutionized. Yeah, it was like a blast from the plot. Blast from <laughs> the past. I'm sorry. Yes. It's a little late. And that's why Sammy Ball's the GOAT. I mean, yep. maybe. Maybe. Probably not, but mm. maybe. All right. Mm. All righty. Well, on that note, on the, the simple fact that Sammy Ball is the greatest of all time, AB is a bad person, only Mark Mosley can win the MVP as a non-QB in the NFL today, and Jamal Adams has been disappointing. And Washington will blow out the Cowboys 100 to nothing. Probably. I think we're going to call it a show. By the way, Taylor Heineke, seven touchdowns. You heard it here first, folks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bubby's Brunch Buddies. Hope you've enjoyed and get a new perspective on the NFL. Or at least gain some Bubby Brister trivia. Thanks again for listening. Have a great evening. And we hope to catch you next time.